0: Kia
1: ora and welcome to Cinema in Context, where we discuss all things film and the connections between. My name is Jeremy Downing. I'm William Chan.
2: And I'm Sarah Watt.
1: And this month we are joined by a very special guest. He's a writer, a director, an editor, a fellow film critic and podcaster. He also happens to be uh, the, the better half, the other half, um, one of the halves of <laughs> Miss uh,
0: Sarah Watt. Please welcome Doug Dillman. Hello, good to be here and since... The subject i'll say we had a great podcast <laughs> <laughs> and i think today's an auspicious day isn't
2: it it happens to be a seven-year anniversary of would you guys like to tell us yes yeah, so basically i was a, a film reviewer back in the day and i've been getting to know this doug dilliman character a little better than just an acquaintance in the film world and i actually did something that uh, avid film goers will appreciate it was a pretty big sacrifice and i gave up the opportunity to see a particular film in order to go for dinner with this guy. And it turned out, ladies and gentlemen, to be a pretty good uh, risk on my part. And seven years later, we're married and still watching movies like the best times. Mm
0: -hmm. And she's left out some backstory, which could go on for quite a while. But probably um, this sort of precipitating incident in the lead up was... uh, I had completed my uh, feature film, Jake, and I invited several um, critics to the cast and crew screening to see if it was worth trying to put out to the public or if we should just throw it on YouTube and move on with our lives. And Sarah was one of those critics. And uh, that rekindled our um, knowing each other after we'd met several years prior. And so um, after a slow burn of a few months... um, well, and also the film wasn't rubbish. So uh, I think if Jake had been a, a,
2: a poor film, we might not be sitting here today. There, there are those
0: that disagree with you, but anyway.
2: <laughs> I mean, maybe then I'd be with Taika Waititi. Who knows? But, uh, but here we are.
0: So I have a
1: quite a serious burning question that you know I think we all want the answer to. What was the film that you missed in
2: order to go on the date? So interestingly, it was a film called Inshallah. Um, which means, I believe, um, as God wills it, or if God wills it, doesn't it? Mm. And uh, and um, and so, you know, obviously, uh, inshallah, um, God did will it. And uh, he he was like, well, that's fine. If you're going to miss this film, Sarah, then uh, I'll make things work mm. out with uh, old Doug Dilliman. So there you go. Well, what good to have you
1: back on the show, Doug. You were with us, uh, I guess, at the start of last year
0: when we talked about Glass and Signs? Was it Was glass? it only that long ago? Yeah. I mean, it feels like 10 years ago since March, so it's hard to tell. Mm. It all blobs
3: into one. M- movies like Top Gun <laughs> and Fast and Furious 9 were just on the horizon. Mulan was going to come out no next week. No Time to Die.
0: Week. Ah, there we go. No <laughs> Time to Die, apparently.
1: Each month of Cinema in Context, we discuss two films, one current and one retrospective with some connection. It could be the same director, the same actor, or a similar theme. This month, we are discussing Tenet, which came out this year in a very interesting way. (laughs) Uh, And we're also discussing Memento, which came out back in 2000, the year 2000, the turn of the millennium. The connection being that they are both Christopher Nolan films. Memento being not his first film, but definitely his first large, largely accepted mainstream film. And Tenet being his, um, I got not ninth film maybe? Something like that. Tenth
3: film. The
1: aptly named
3: Tenet. Yeah, yeah. Hmm. William, can you give us a bit of an overview of Tenet? Of course, Jeremy. So Tenet is everything you would expect from a Christopher Nolan blockbuster in the 2020s. It is a time-twisty thriller featuring CIA agents, end-of-the-world plots, Machiavellian, Russian oligarchs, uh, and everything in between. So it stars John David Washington, Robert Patterson, Elizabeth Debicki, Kenneth Branagh, and is about, I guess ostensibly, people who undergo, you know, cool spy stuff. Except there's time travel involved. Excellent. (laughs) And Sarah, what about Memento? Give us a bit of an
1: overview.
2: So Memento, Nolan's film from the good old days of the 2000s when life seemed so simple, starred the up and coming Guy Pearce um, as Lenny, call me Leonard, um, a guy with short term memory loss who is trying to track down his wife's killer. Now, the interesting thing about Memento is that the film is told in two directions at the same time. The main narrative starts at the end and then is told in sort of bite-sized scenes in backwards order. But each of those chapters is interposed with a flashback, which is helpfully in black and white, which runs forward, helping to explain the backstory to Lenny's predicament. And if that makes no sense to you, don't worry, because none of the rest of this podcast will either. <laughs> <laughs>
1: and we will be speaking in palindrome today, so if you listen backwards, you will notice that all of our words are perfectly placed. Yes. <laughs> oh, if only. Right, I guess the last thing to say is that we will be spoilering both films, so if you haven't seen either Tenet or Memento, there are a lot of great surprises in those movies that uh, would be worth experiencing for the first time while watching them. Absolutely. So I would suggest pausing this and coming back to us at a later date. Alright, should we jump in with
0: Tenet? Mm. Let's do it. Um, where do we start with this movie? Do you have a um, I, I guess, strong opinion about it? How, how did everyone see this movie? Because
3: obviously, it being a pandemic right now, um, I, I mean, we are relatively lucky in New Zealand to actually be able to go to the movies, for one. Uh, but yeah, how was everyone's experiences going to see Tenet on the big screen? Ours was um, really
2: positive to the extent that we went to the IMAX. So we were seeing it the biggest, the loudest and the clearest, my understanding is. That, that anyone possibly could, um, anywhere and with in the, the world. Highest
0: ceiling, the highest ceiling, most important. The highest
2: ceiling, so that all that COVID just dribbled around up the top ab- above us. <laughs> and we were
0: in the back seat, so it all was going forward as well. Yeah.
2: So. so I have to say, I think that our situation was optimum for, as I say, visuals and audio, mm-hmm. uh, which I understand to be really key. Yeah,
3: for me, um, I think, Jeremy, you and I both went to see it at the VMAX, uh, one of the new, new cinemas and new shopping centre. Um, it was really good. I guess I wanted to see it on IMAX. It was just going to be too much of a time and money commitment. Um, the sound, I will say, and I guess we'll discuss about this later on as well. Sound, not as clear as I wanted it to be, but everything else was was really, really good. Very clean visuals. It was interesting watching a movie where half the cast had masks mm. on and myself wearing a mask mm. and my glasses fogging up. Really interesting, you know, 4DX experience. Yes, that's true. <laughs> Let's start talking about the sound, because I think this
1: is is a frustration. There are two frustrations that have been growing with me with Nolan. The first um, is the aspect ratio change, which I didn't have an issue with in Tenet. I didn't notice it. I don't know whether it would be mastered at VMAX to kind of block out the the sides or the top of the image so that it all was consistent. But definitely in Dunkirk, that film, I loved every aspect of it, except for the changing aspect ratio in the middle of scenes. At least with *Dark Knight Rises*, it kind of they did they yeah. action sequence mm-hmm. and then dialogue sequence and action, and it kind of the, the the rhythm of the film lent itself to that shift. But I did notice it with this. But I did absolutely have issues with the sound. Um, I haven't been frustrated as as by it as much in *Dark Knight Rises* or *Interstellar*. But this film, like the yacht sequence, I don't know what they were talking about. <laughs> mm-hmm. And the um, there's another sequence as well. No um, the, the, walkie-talkie. Yep
3: don't know what they were talking about there <laughs> um, the sequence where they first reveal the inversion machine and Kenneth Branagh, he's speaking backwards
0: you not like I, I wait just don't think any a of that second. stuff matters though because those so there's two separate issues i think there's those three scenes but they all they're all basically like scenes where either like with the inversion machine everything gets revealed on the opposite side of it or with the yacht stuff it's all exposition that's later on and the scene doesn't exist to forward exposition it exists to set up this confusion and her trying to kill him and this kind of like um you know not having yet another scene of people talking in a room which thank god um you know i don't (laughs) think that movie would have been improved if it had been like in a drawing room with crystal clear sound and she had tried to poison (laughs) her drink um i think it's just like you know, let's just not have a scene of people talking about bullshit for a little while, and and, and we'll have you know, a five-minute movie. Let's be honest. Yeah. Um, but I, I, <laughs> no. I
1: I guess so, but I you know I'm turning to the people I was with. Like, what do they say? They we're like, I don't know. I don't know what they said. You know, so I'm not yeah. paying attention. I'm losing interest in the film because I'm getting frustrated that I can't
0: hear what's going on. So I hear you, but oh, man. I mean, I guess what I don't know is because I've only experienced an IMAX, and I thought. The scenes where we're, we're intended to hear clearly, mm. it was clear. And I, I've i heard people say, I couldn't hear a thing. And I don't know if that's like, the you know, 2020 dialogue really. where there's three s- scenes that are like that and they extend that. But also, like, I can imagine, like, because I had that problem with Dunkirk and with Dark Knight Rises, that it just depends. Are you seeing it in a theater that's calibrated perfectly? Mm. Are you that? But I mean, as, as somebody who's played drums for 25 years and been to lots of punk rock shows, my hearing is not great and I followed everything I needed to follow
2: that's what I would say I mean my hearing is not great at all and I tend to sort of um at the best of times sit with my my left ear closer to whoever I'm trying to lip read from or whatever and I was fine with the IMAX so for me that's quite a an indicator that at very least IMAX did its did its job and I I would agree with Doug to the extent that there was a whole lot that was I mean obviously it's designed to be a um how how do we put it like a a answers first, questions later, kind of narrative. But I have to say, I did write down and have a chuckle as did everyone else in the cinema. When one of the characters said to the other, don't try to understand it. Um, and I just feel like... Just feel it. Yeah, I just feel like the whole audience not, not was like, okay. Not the most
0: laugh out loud line in the movie. No. <laughs>
2: and I, my son.
0: <laughs> oh my goodness. Oh. That line. That line.
3: Um, but, but kind of to, to bounce off what you guys are saying... Mm. I think for me, I just found it a little frustrating as well. Um, I don't the audio, or the, the audio, film? The, the audio, and the and my son line, but <laughs> mostly the audio. Um, something about it just, and this is probably going to sound really, really stupid, but I wanted to just pick up as much as I can, right, as much information both visual and audio mm-hmm. as as I could, because I knew I was going into one of these Christopher Nolan puzzle boxes, and there was going to be something at the end that draws mm-hmm. on everything that came before, mm. and just something about not. Clearly hearing each and every piece of dialogue from the very beginning like during the Opera House raid There's a lot of dialogue in these breathing apparatuses, and they feel like this Mm -mm. And I can't hear what they're saying Mm. and something about that kind of drew me out of the movie just a little bit Mm. A little bit. um, Here's my hypothesis about it,
2: right? Um, because one thing I noticed I I was absolutely captivated from the beginning of the film and that really intense just like in The Dark Knight actually that really intense sit piece and the 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 big sort of almost like terrorist attack that happens and I noticed that the music's played backwards at the very beginning and it all really sets the tone and you've got the orchestra um, uh, tuning up which of course always sounds dissonant and horrible so you know you guys will be aware that in dunkirk in particular um nolan used the shepherd tone which i tried in my podcast to explain what you did a
1: wonderful job and those of you listening if you want to go and listen to a great podcast that's sarah hosts and and presents, and I believe, Doug, you helped edit edit it. Um, It's wonderful. Really, really wonderful. So it's called
2: The Sound of Movies. Uh, Do you get it? Uh, (laughs) The Sound of Movies. And I looked at Hans Zimmer's music, and in particular, something that was interesting in, in Dunkirk was the use of this shepherd tone. Um, and I won't waste our time now talking about how it happens but the point of it is to cause the brain to feel an unease, a tension around what the brain and the ears are, are taking in and I think that tenet is designed to be confusing and dissonant and to raise that sort of tension within us and i feel as though if you think about it if you can hear everything that's going on it relieves some of that tension Mm -hmm. doesn't it so if we are a little bit kind of on edge because we're not hearing or we're not getting or what was that or what's going on because that opera scene makes no sense at the time uh, and that whole idea that, oh, the little red tag on the backpack is a reveal at the very end of the film that you've never remembered was even there at the beginning. You know, the whole idea, I think, is just setting this tone of unease.
1: I I hear you, and I definitely agree in terms of the audio going backwards. Mm-hmm. Like, I absolutely. Uh, but, I, but it's happened in so many of his films now. We know that Nolan's a purist. I think he's got some idea about how sound design should go that is in conflict with just basic... Audience experience, and I'm like, if that you know, he's he's got a certain ideas about film, and I and I love his commitment to real, you know, to physical film and not digital. Um, but I. But about his
0: commitment to killing people by showing movies in the, cinemas in the states. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, with COVID, you mean? Or yeah, whatever. yeah. <laughs> you... I'm not going to let anyone watch this on demand. They're going to have to go to a cinema. No drive-throughs. No yeah. drive-throughs. Yeah. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. Well, probably because you imagine how that movie would sound through a radio. <laughs> I just like to step back though, because and also bring in Memento at this point, because I think there's a larger question, which is like, what is this movie trying to do? What is it trying to deliver? And if you go back to Memento, Memento is a very confusing movie the first time but you get to the end the of it and
2: um, and the third uh, well, yeah. sorry, anyway. but
0: but but it delivers an emotional payload and it's delivered this tragedy of this person who accidentally killed his wife and cannot live with the guilt and so creating meaning out of his life that sustains itself by only by perpetual forgetting and so even though you you don't necessarily follow every twist and turn you know i mean i watched it again in the lead up to this for like the fourth or fifth time but spread out over several years I was like what is it that happens in this movie again you know Um, and but you still have that emotional weight at the end and that's true of a lot of um, his films I mean Dunkirk you don't necessarily like kind of if you start thinking about oh that's an hour and that's a day and that's a week it kind of blows your brain but at the end when you know Tom Hardy's on the beach you know you have the emotional payoff and and I don't get, there, there's a little nice moment with Pattinson and um, John David Washington at the end here, but I don't get kind of a bigger thematic statement or payload of any kind. And I think, I mean, there's stuff buried in there. I have a whole crazy theory we can get into later. And there's something explicitly basically saying, oh, because of climate change, the future is coming back to kill us. And it's like, okay, so maybe it's an ten- environmental movie, but I feel like any sort of there's a harmony between theme and form and memento that just is lost here. There's just like I have this crazy idea of inversion, and I'm going to try to. B- make a, a I'm going to make make a story, and, and I'll throw in Elizabeth to in this romantic subplot to try to appeal to something broader. And but then it brings in just this really awkward like we have global universal stakes and we have a woman worried she's not going to get to see her son and it just seems like the height of selfishness it's like Is that meta-commentary on, like, white privilege, or is it just sloppy? (laughs) Okay, look, I'm really sorry. This whole son business,
2: we mentioned it twice. We need to get into this very quickly right now. There is a theory that her son is Robert Pattinson. So if, if that theory can be borne out, then that is relevant that she needs her son to live. She needs her son... To, you know, to be involved and that would make it less feel it would feel less like oh we just need to give it a bit of emotional heart you, you, a, you, we, you, you we
3: are blowing my mind Sarah I have not heard that no. oh, we, we, we were talking about that after the really? film we were like
2: oh we're pretty
0: sure that's the sun. really
1: the relationship he talks about I've known you taught me I've known oh, you for years I had God. to read it no, on but, the
0: internet but, but but A she never reacts to seeing him as an adult or he never reacts to seeing her in any way that kind of Robert Pattinson. No, yeah. he doesn't. Yeah, there's no even kind of extra held glance for a second no. or anything showing each... And also, like, it's just so cutesy and buried. It's like... <laughs> it's just that kind of... You created a text that's so complex that you go QAnon on it trying to understand it. <laughs> uh, and maybe the... you make a narrative that makes you
3: happy. So so in, in the final scene, what they should have had was when her son walks away from school close up on a school bag and there's a little orange <laughs> dog yeah! <laughs> can i just
1: or say extreme ways <laughs> doug I, I 100% agree with everything you just said i love memento for its succinctness and i just was blown away by watching it again and it's the same with um uh, inception and it's the same with the prestige they have clear m- human actually simple motivations the idea of of um, Inception, about being a young man and his father issues. I mean, it's just mm. basic, fundamental, primal storytelling. Yeah. And the mother storyline is too sidelined. Um, I find it's actually really problematic, Her rep- like just her representation in the film. And it's the only emotional drive in the movie. Yeah. The protagonist has no... He has no character, and he has no desire or anything beyond saving this woman, which just frustrated me. Mm. Um, and so I don't care about the puzzle. Like I, I, I investigated memento, I rewatch, rewatch, rewatch because I wanted to pull it apart. And it's because it has that emotional, that, that emotional core, that tragedy that you mentioned. Um, or, or again with Inception, like that ending with the pinwheel is just bro- breaks yeah. my heart because yeah, it yeah. solves this. It solves his daddy issues with a lie, but it ultimately solves their, their goal. Um,
3: or, or, the re- the f- or the reveal and the prestige, which, you know, ties everything together so cleanly. Mm. Like this, this, like, discussion of class, but passion and yeah. privilege and access and... That, that's it, it was the look on their faces and, you know, what is entertainment and what, what does it require from the entertainer? Mm. Just lovely themes. And, like, I agree with you, there's, there's, there's lots of things in
1: Tenet that could be things, mm. I still don't know why the people in the future really are trying to blow up the past. I don't really know what the... The I, the opera, that wasn't an opera, let's be honest. Mm. That wasn't an opera. Um, it's just because they wanted to use that fancy g- Greek square. Or whatever yeah, I,
3: I have it written down in my notes right here. Yeah. <laughs> Do you know <laughs> about a, this? A ca- yes. character, uh, I mean, Saito... Erepo uh, uh, was the... He was the art um, uh, forger, right? Yes. Yeah. And then there was Rotas uh, Shipping Company, I think. Yeah. And then, of course, uh, opera and tenet. Oh,
0: it's just... It's cool, but... But it's not a thing where you get more points in art for throwing more stuff in, which I feel is like the trap that the film falls into. Yeah, yeah, and I just... Just don't... I just... Well, what about as a set-piece
3: delivery system? Like, What did you guys think about that? I thought the set-pieces were terrific. I thought they... All of
2: them could be better. To me, they were Ooh. all actually merits if I was being my strict teacher self, <laughs> honestly. Because I thought the art heist was really exciting, but it still felt to me like it could have gone further. Don't ask me how. I'm a teacher. You don't come up with how it could have been better. You just tell them it could have been better. <laughs> yeah. um, and similarly, um, the... And same with the, the aeroplane. It was, like, really great, but oh, almost could have been a bit better and all that. The... Yeah. But... I still enjoyed all of it. And I'm wondering contextually when you have been deprived of something for such a long time, (laughs) do you love it more? Maybe it depends maybe on our personalities. There'll Mm -hmm. be people who didn't go to the pictures for ages and ages who went in and watched Tenet and it failed for them because they needed more, or it might be people like me who were just so glad to be in the IMAX <laughs> yeah. and watching something that was huge and tall, the whole mm. height of the IMAX screen, and all that, that, op- kind that of... That opening
0: um, attack on the Russian Opera House was exactly like that. It was just like, oh my God, something at scale and something, you know, and also actually getting to see no one do finally really master action, you know, mm. starting from Batman Begins, which is just such a mess of filmmaking in and, and this. It's like, I really think there's part of him that just wants to make a 110 minute hard R like John Wick style or not yeah, it, primal action film because you know this is cut to within um, a frame of being you know adults only violence and they just you know managed to pull back and suggest because um, I think he could do that quite well but he just can't help himself with everything else he wants uh, his films to mean and be significant. He's a so... very
2: clever storyteller. And all the films that we've mentioned, Prestige, Inception, yeah. all of them are very, very, very clever. And and Memento is, from, to my mind, cleverer than Tenet. Mm-hmm. Um, partly because it, it works and it ties up. And partly because it delivers that emotional payload. I just wanted to check, Doug. I mean, I've seen Memento a great many times, and I don't think I ever came up with the conclusion that he had killed his wife but the devastating part for me is when he willfully crosses out the information on the polaroid knowing that he is therefore tricking himself tricking himself in the in that you know those moments in the future when he comes around again and doesn't have his memory do you remember how right at the end he's like well i'm just going to kill this guy because he's the one that I want to be chasing this whole time.
1: Well, that I mean, he he kills his wife unknowingly by over over injecting her with insulin. So it
2: is—is is he the Sammy Jenkins? Yeah, he so is, is, is. there no, yeah. Sammy Jenkins.
1: Sammy Jenkins was a con artist that he investigated, and he's mixed up the two stories in his yeah. brain.
2: you see. I've seen Memento so many times mm. that I did not think for a second that ultimately I did not think that Sammy Jenkins uh was a con artist yeah and I believed what they said at the end of the film uh where they say look people who are experiencing memory loss dementia or whatever they learn how to do their face with recognition Mm. to make you feel better Mm. and I thought that's a very very compelling based in science kind of Mm. explanation for why Tobolowski's character was legit and that that's the heartbreaking aspect of it when his wife's face is going oh my goodness he is going to continue to inject me. He doesn't realise. There's a tragedy there that's beautiful.
1: When I first watched Memento, and I remember this so clearly, that, you know, Teddy, do not believe his lies. Yeah. I was like, all of this is, because we learn that Natalie is conning him. Yeah. After, as the film goes on, she's the femme fatale. Um, And I didn't, it never occurred to me before until I recently rewatching watching that it's a noir film. Yeah. Like yeah. it's film noir. And I yeah. kind of didn't, picked it up but um well because it's mostly in daylight
0: yeah this is true in <laughs> modern day yeah. Yeah, yeah
1: um and he but i it was all resting on this comment do not believe his lies and i was like when is that detail going to come in so it's even more devastating that moment when you realize he's lying to himself mm. to maintain the maintain this thing
2: can i just say one of the exciting i think comparisons or or yeah similarities between tenet and memento is the fact that in memento we see things now, let me get my words right here because this is, does it does confound my brain. We see things before they're explained later in the film. For example, the crossed out bit on the Polaroid. Mm-hmm. Uh, so And it's the same in Tenet. We see in the wing, wing, wing mirror, for example, that it's been smashed ages before it actually gets smashed in one of those inverted scenes. And it's cool because we're like, oh, I'm looking out for when that's going to happen. And so we're waiting through memento for the moment when he crosses out the 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 um, the writing on the back of the Polaroid and stuff. So that's something that you know, 19 years later, Nolan has. Um... And,
3: and of course, rewatching Memento, the very first scene is completely inverted, which is yeah. awesome. <laughs> yeah,
0: and, and it's and it feels like such a special effect. And I want to yeah. get back to a couple things. One is this idea when you're making a movie like Memento, which you know, when Joe Pantoliano and Carrie Anne Moss are your big stars and Guy Pierce, yeah, you're you know, you're, you're but also you're you're dealing with real locations and. So even though it's very well-crafted, there's this ne- there's this necessarily this life in it and this vitality of just like we're having to pick stuff up in locations we can't fully control mm-hmm. and, and it feels very lived in. And, you know, however many films later, we're suddenly in this universe that's completely antiseptic that's been built. And I think one of the things that Christopher Nolan's done along the way as well is he undersells the complexity of what he does. So you're talking about like the art heist, for instance. And you look at that, and if you actually look and think about how mind blowing it is that these people are running backwards convincingly while these other people are running forwards, and there's an explosion, yeah, yeah, or like this this the edge of tomorrow scene at the end where you have half the soldiers running forward, half running backwards, yeah. and explosions going in opposite directions, and it looks seamless. That it's like, oh, that stuff's really difficult, but his aesthetic is such that he doesn't show it in a way. I mean, you imagine the Zack Snyder version of this, oh one, yeah, which is it would aesthetically it would be like really sell all those moments Mm. i mean it would be crap in a different way Mm. but um yeah and i really wonder about this kind of and i think the sound and all these things tie into it is like when you can control everything you're no better than your best idea but when you can't control anything everything you can be open to what everything around you adds into the film and that and i i think about that a lot with certain directors wes anderson is another example where you know stuff like bottle rockets really rough and ready but has a charm and then as it becomes more building a diorama Mm. it just feels control you know peter
1: jackson's films get worse and worse as he gets more and more money because he's so good at being concise i mean i i mean tarantino has always said he will always live the scene on the day he won't try and kind of Mm. construct and that his films chime through because of that what I, what I will say is I agree with you and everything that you guys have been saying. Memento has this great conciseness about it. It's so... I mean, I don't know what the budget was. It must be a relatively low budget. It's just around
3: $4 million, if I remember correctly. Something.
1: It's yeah, just so yeah, cleverly yeah. put together. Yeah. Um, and I, I really love how the work has been done in the script. And I the, the tenant script is just so underworked. And I'm going to come back to um, the exposition scene soon. But to talk to the set pieces and to, to talk mm. about the art heist and to talk about the wow factor of just the technicality of what's going on. Mm -mm. I was just like, I wish I cared more about this movie because what is happening with the fight Mm -mm. with one person going back? Because I don't know how
3: they did that. How did they do that? Well, Well, I I, I was talking to you guys online about this, and I don't know if we can answer this right now, but what is the point of a temporal pincer movement? What is the point of of them going...
0: the The point is that the front goes through... And fails because they can't predict everything. And so the places where they've failed going forward, the people going backwards know what has happened. So they fix those things. Um, So it's like, oh, we did that, but we failed because of this. But if we have somebody going back through time... They can mend that so that the, that failure never happens.
3: So they knew they were going to fail.
0: I, I guess they they knew that that there was this failure going to happen, and so like it's they knew that like so to take the Russian Opera House thing at the beginning, right? Yeah. Um. They know that um John David Washington is going to get shot by this guy, and that none of the stuff that he does to save the world will ever happen. So they send Pattinson back to um save him at the last minute, um and that even though he did, he, John David Washington has no foreknowledge of what's to come, because of everything that comes, he's reliant on it. So that's the temporal pincer right? But think. for the final sequence, isn't the whole movement just so that...
3: It's a distraction, right, for the two of them or the three of them to actually go down into the tunnels and do the real mission, the extraction?
0: Oh, yeah, totally. It's unnecessary complication. Um, yeah. It was very <laughs> cool.
1: I was simply going, I don't understand what's happening... I don't, know, I don't really know what they're trying to do. Um, and I don't really care. But this is cool. Yeah. I don't there's, there's know there's why. There's a scene with the building blowing up. Yeah. And
3: forwards in time and backwards in time. Yeah. At, at, at the same, the same time. time. It's like, yeah. oh my god. Yeah. Yeah. This is so
1: cool. It's cool. But okay, I'm like, I don't really get it. And I don't really care. Um, there's a scene where a guy gets swallowed by a war. That was cool. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but I, I feel like there was a lot of missed opportunities in this movie to just... Really, really monopolize on its cool bits. You know, like any one of those moments could have been the Matrix flying backwards yeah. slow motion moment, but it's just so messy. And, like, Matrix, for instance, is another film I was thinking of, of just yeah. a really clear emotional thread. Mm. I rewatched that recently with my nephew. Carrie Anne um, Moss, of course. Carrie Anne mm-hmm. Moss um joe pateliano oh right yes of course um and it just it was so well put together and that film when it came i was like what's the matrix you just gotta go see it yeah it's like the same thing with Tenet. i would have loved to have been able to come out of the middle you've got to go watch Tenet. yeah um it won't make sense to you for a while but it all comes together in the the end and i said to um some of you guys before we started recording i was really expecting the opera to be the end of the movie and i was waiting for that and i was like this is gonna bring it together and it didn't. And we just had this other sequence that was just as confusing.
0: There's part of me that thinks that Tenet could be the setup for a series of films. And there is that lovely moment at the end with Pattinson and um, John David Washington that makes you think, oh, we get to see a heroic death and we get to see these characters come together in the next film and it's not cheated. And I thought that was a really yeah. nice, elegant kind of thing. Um, but I don't know if that's really the case. Let's talk about Jonathan Nolan for a second, because we talk about the script and he didn't contribute to this one. Whereas Memento and Prestige and Interstellar he mm. contributed. And I think there tends to be a director, writer is the god who does everything on his films, but in fact like that's often not the case and and I think that that Lack of another voice in this script is part of what brings it down. But Most and, likely, and yeah. I
1: think Jonathan Nolan has the, re- the reverse issue because, like, I'm need, well, trying to get through the slog of Westworld <laughs> it's season two. It's, well, I'm watching season, <laughs> I'm watching season three. Does he write it has. or direct it? He's, he's not showrunner. He's on his Him and his his wife, I think. Yeah, or, yeah. Um, I do like the Nolan's with the the cut, the, the, the husband and wife teams. You know, with Emma Thomas. Yeah, says, yeah, same. Yeah, um, but he the, the, the issue with Westworld is that. Um, there is all of this plot device that gets things moving with kind of this mm. huge vapidness of, of character. Mm. Um, and Nolan's film, whilst he had a, not much character, it's like all of the mythology is clear, but it's kind of this mess at the front. And I kind of feel like they probably complement each other quite well.
2: Mm. I think um, Doug alluded to this before, that in a way the, the really, really tricky, flashy aesthetic that Nolan goes for in Tenet is almost so underplayed he's not all Zack snyder about it and i think about just just seems like washington walking through that car park and the puddles happening yeah. in reverse and i and i was mm. so aware that part of my brain was going how does how is this happening yeah. i don't get it have they shot this with him walking backwards or is you know and and just that mo- those mo- so many moments of confusion where the brain is distracted and that's kind of coming back to the sound thing for me you know where the brain is distracted Compared with something like Inception, which I find Inception a desperately tricky film, but I've seen it enough times to totally get it. And apart from it's kind of tuttering about with, um, with with time, and I don't mean conceptually, of course it does. What I mean is, you know how, for example, when the white bus is, is very, yes. very slowly going off the edge of the bridge, and you're like, that. crikey, this is taking forever, but we've got no way of knowing whether actually that's just artistic license or it's maths.
0: Mm. But,
2: um, yeah, just... Inception, though, doesn't trick about with you quite so much in the brain. Narratively, it does, but not in terms of what you're watching and what you're
3: hearing. And I find with Inception, uh, having rewatched it a while back, it gives the audience enough information to really go on. So that by the end of the movie, you're pretty sure you understand what is happening. Whereas with Tenet, there's, there's... my friends, there's external reading. There's, there's, you, yes. have you have to draw from other the work. sources. You, you, you have mm, to do yeah. the work on paper, probably, in order to figure mm. out the timelines, which is really frustrating. It's really, really frustrating. But
0: let's compare it to Primer for a second as well, mm. I thought which that is, film is, too, is yeah. even more yeah. complicated. But there's something fundamental that lands at the end of Primer, even though I think the graphs for Primer would make <laughs> Tenet look like, you know, Tic-Tac-Toe. Was mm. Primer
2: Nolan's first film? No,
0: Primer was Shane Carruth. Um, so what, so ha, so, how so the relevant? relevance is it's a time travel film that's very complicated yeah. and like even more complicated and arguably you have to do the math and in fact I had a friend who was a critic for Sight and Sound at the time who saw it and had a panic attack because at the time part of the Sight and Sound thing was you had to write a plot summary mm. in addition to it <laughs> and he's just like I, I don't even know how to write a plot summary for this film I, I, I love you know. brought
1: up Primer Doug I I thought of Primer too and I and the thing and I agree with you like Primer was a film that i got to you know three quarters of the way through and i thought oh i have no idea what's happening now but i was not worried about it because there was this really clear relationship between these two young guys trying to change the world Mm. and the kind of way that destroyed their relationship Mm. and and i and i walked out of that film being like you know what i could go and spend hours on the internet and i would figure this out but i'm actually quite satisfied Mm. with emotionally what i saw Mm. um and so whether it was inception i would have done the work and or memento did the work Um, and and Tenet, again,
2: just didn't have that. (laughs) See, I feel like I'd like to see Tenet again. um, Full stop, really. I feel like I'd I'd like to see it again to get my head around it a bit more and to really appreciate some of the set pieces. Although, Jeremy and I talked offline about the fact that was there not that truism that we see in all time, time travel movies where you're instructed, if you see your other self, do not engage because you cannot... Uh, you, what is it they say? You can't annihilation. Of, yeah. yeah, annihilation. You can't take up the same space. And yeah, no. is there not a scene in Tenet mm. where Washington is fighting Washington? Oh, but
3: they they, they don't touch. He, he's wearing complete like combat gear. It,
0: oh, like, such, yeah. a, it like such a like such technicality. That yeah, yeah, yeah. is a technicality because yeah. I maybe this film's a metaphor for safe sex. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, so <laughs> I I have a crazy Tenet theory that I'm just going to blow up out, out here for a moment. Um, so. The the evil end of destroy, end, destroying the world weapon in the film is called the algorithm, which is a really it's just such a bizarre name for a weapon and like it, at first I'm like this is unobtainium level nonsense but then I thought about Christopher Nolan and his commitment to like cinema and how much he hates you know Netflix the and Internet. all this stuff and what does Netflix make all its decisions by. Wait for it. The algorithm. Ah, Christopher Nolan has also been committed, Batman movies aside, to advancing original stories. And one of the things that is consistently brought up as a plague of cinema in 2020 is how studios are only willing to take gambles on established properties. Mm -hmm. So what if the the whole point of Tenet, which is only accessible if you think about it in a really dumb and non-obvious way, is that the history of cinema is converging and crushing us by only repeating the past over and over. And so the only way to move forward is to go back from the future and destroy the past. And you think about all these websites that only feed you. Like I go on to, um, you know, we both watch things off Netflix. And when my version is up, I get recommended different films than Sarah gets recommended. And so each of our individual ecosystems for what comes to us are defined by the algorithm and so the only way we're going to grow and prosper and have a new future available to us where we can see everything is by destroying the algorithm oh,
3: i love that
1: I, do you know what i love about that i, I yeah. want that to be true because um if nolan is trying to do that he's made a film that is so unpenetrable <laughs> that the audience is not going to watch it and care. Uh,
0: yeah. <laughs> so, a- imagine a five-paragraph op-ed that could have done that instead of a hundred and fifty million-dollar uh, film where you fly a plane into a building.
3: <laughs> I-, I did really love. Um, a- a- a sim- I think in a similar vein, there was a-, a piece of conversation online that talked about what they wanted the ending to be, which was the algorithm being combined. Like this, it's this this incredible thing that will destroy everything. People have been talking about it for two hours. And then it doesn't work because it turns out that the true villain was the hype.
2: (laughs) I think if I were the Kenneth Branagh then of cinema, what I would do is I would create a film that has that iconic scene of the, the moon's face with the rocket that goes into its eye. That would be my film, and then we would know we had come full pincel, <laughs> and that would be the end.
1: Just the coming out of the face. Just like um, that. It would be the end of cinema. Can I just say that uh, <laughs> Kenneth Brenner had some terrible dialogue to deal with and some
0: really gross scenes, but my gosh, he did a great job. He did. Yeah. Uh, he was glorious. I'd also like to use that as an excuse to bring up um, no one's humours, and, and that's something that no one really gets criticised as being humourless. And I'm sorry, but Memento had a lot more laugh out loud lines than I remembered. And Tenet, as much as everybody's like, it's humorous, I'm like... He kills a guy with a gold bar to his neck and then checks his Fitbit. How how can you think that anybody who's you know bloody Bergman? I mean this this isn't even talking about like people bungee jumping into a building yeah. or Michael Caine taking the piss out of the British or all of that. You know, okay, there's a lot
3: okay, of humor okay, two things.
1: Gold. I really thought the the forwards moving gold was going to come back into it. Or, like, it was, I, I
3: when I first watched it, I thought the guy who pocketed the gold on gold on the plane was the guy who was beaten to death by the ingot, but he's not. right? Yeah. There's also like. Prom- yeah. Potential
1: promises. And the other thing is, back to this point of exposition, 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 which mm. just seems to happen between set pieces, it's just ridiculous. The Michael Caine scene he had no idea what he was
3: talking about well, well, he was also referred to uh, uh, as Sir Michael I did yes I did too
2: <laughs> I have to say I really did enjoy the well the, I was going to say the diversity I enjoyed the ethnic diversity of Tenet even if there weren't really very many women and blah blah Bechtel test be damned and blah blah you can't have that all the time guys but, uh, uh, but I did enjoy I, I really do enjoy that in Nolan's films he often uses people from all over even if he's making British people be American or whatever mm-hmm. and personally As somebody whose introduction to Robert Pattinson was Twilight, and I didn't give a hoot about Twilight at all. I was clearly not its target audience. I thought he's one of the ugliest men on the planet. (laughs) Did you know? Did you know there's an internet article that suggests that Robert Pattinson is clinically the most handsome man on the planet? Something to do with the symmetry of his face. Well, internet be damned. Um, (laughs) However,
1: my god Tim Edward
2: some of the films that I have seen him in like Cosmopolis he is superb and in this film I think it might be the first time I've actually heard him speaking his normal British or Mm. you know even his RP I love the the joke that RP Robert Pattinson is speaking Ah. received pronunciation (laughs) but he's marvellous I agree and And funny so funny
1: what what an audition for becoming Batman right (laughs) in terms of the public eye I mean he was one of the true stars of that film Mm. um Blessed John David Washington, yeah, yeah,
2: Denzel's son. He,
1: uh, he, whether it was what he had to work with, I was, I think he just had no character. I was so uninterested, and his scenes with the the, the arms dealer, the yeah. Indian arms arms mm, dealer, yeah.
3: their scenes were just oh, terrible. Here comes more exposition. Oh, so yeah. um, and I, I actually going back watching Memento, like you can pick up some of that. It's It's been there since the very beginning, what, you the guys. Witch. The exposition, that, that oh, Nolan yeah, dialogue, yeah. where it's like, oh, yes, th- this, no, this this isn't, you know, just short-term memory loss. My condition is actually da-da-da-da-da-da-da. Mm. And, man, it's, it's been there since the but very, very be beginning. But to be fair,
2: I feel like using the device of the Sammy Jenkins plot, and in inverted mm-hmm. commas, that was a super clever way brilliant. i mean yeah. you know like narrative mm-hmm. timeline aside yeah. the brilliance of having a, ba- a backward a backwards film and a frontwards and and flashback that, that, that beautiful moment where
3: they merge
2: absolutely Whoa. so they go all a little bit pincer mm. i don't mm-hmm. know Something like that, but,
3: original
1: some but
2: to, yeah. But to be fair, I think using the Sammy Jenkins, yeah. particularly characterized in flashbacks, you know, with the Stephen Tobolowsky and whatnot, mm-hmm. I thought that was a beautiful way to do mm-hmm. exposition, particularly as I now realize after umpteen viewings of Memento that actually it was all a lie.
1: <sighs> <laughs> well, on that note, let's do final thoughts, um, whip around the table of either film, um. William, let's start with you.
3: Um, for both films? Yeah. Okay. Uh, Memento holds up, although the pacing is a little slower than I remembered. Um, I guess it's just much more... I remember it being very fast-paced, and then this happens, and that happens. And of course, that, there's that awesome cut where you go back to the original timeline, or the color timeline, mm. and then he, he's in a, in a chase, and you don't know why, and yes. he doesn't know why, and it's really it? funny. Yes. I love it.
0: I'm chasing him. Yeah. He's oh, no, wait, me. he's chasing me. Yeah.
3: <laughs> Um, so Memento, enjoyed it, uh, found it a little different, uh, the experience watching it, it's just the way things go, I guess. Tenet, I, I agree with you, well, with a lot of you guys, like, I wanted to love it, and I, th- I think the, the set pieces are incredible, and I do want to watch it again, but I, I kept thinking of other movies that did things better, mm. like, have you, you guys have seen Time Crimes, yes. yeah, yeah. Yeah. Triangle, yeah, um, all, all these movies where you, you have, you know, repeat timelines kind of overlapping mm. on each other. Mm. And maybe this is just expectation, but I thought Tenet was going to go there and it kind of does But it edits things out in a way that you never have everyone in the same place at the same time mm. Especially for this final set piece Which I found really disappointing um, I, I enjoy I love movies with four facts, but I didn't like this one and I thought the fourth act was really really weak and the movie probably would have peaked at the reverse art heist with the plane Because that was super cool mm.
0: Agreed yeah. agreed Doug uh, Memento is tied with The Prestige is my favorite Christopher Nolan movie, and I am um, uh, just revisiting it, um, made, really brought it up in my list of favorite movies overall, and I, I, think it's, um, excellent. I think anyone who wants to make movies should watch it. Is what you can do with a lot of imagination and thought and not a lot of budget, because even for four million, you could do most of that cheaper just by not having as name of actors. Um... I, my first comment when I saw Tenant was like, "I'm violently mixed on that," and I remain that. Like, the the, the, <laughs> like things, a the the things that I love, and I and I actually I was really loving it for the first half hour, but then it just as soon as Elizabeth Debicki's character showed up and all the kind of things around that, um, it really just got bogged down. And um, Sarah said before about how clever he is, and I just kept thinking of that line from Fight Club: "How's clever working out for you?" <laughs> and I just I would just love to see no one take a moment to make something a little less clever, a little more direct, and, you know, just a hundred minute movie, you know, linear time, no cross-cutting, all female leads, and it's an action, and they're doing a bank heist. That's it. That's the movie, and I think it could be awesome. I think it could just be Re- you know, and it, it's not the movie he wants to make and that's fine and we'll get something in three years. It's incomprehensible and you can't hear the dialogue and everybody has great theories about. And maybe I'll love that one because sometimes that actually... Sometimes you get an Inception and sometimes you get an Interstellar and sometimes you get a Tenet.
1: Oh, brilliant. What a great spectrum of films. <laughs> <laughs> Sarah? Uh,
2: Memento is timeless uh, and um, I, I will always really love it, and rate it. (laughs) Terrifically intended. Didn't mean to. Didn't mean to, but yes. Um, But I will always love Memento, and to me, it definitely doesn't date. Um... And I think there's a real power in a film that you... We watched The Lost Boys again last night. What was that? 1987. And The Lost Boys totally Mm. holds up. But there are so many films, including things like Time Cop, for example, that we watched over lockdown that don't hold up. I mean, you can enjoy them, but go, eh, you couldn't do that now. My point being Memento's terrific 20 years on. I really did enjoy Tenet. I would have loved things to be different about it but I don't mind at all that it was sufficiently confusing that I'm going to want to see it again. Um, I think I would prefer... I'm not being hoity-toity here. Normally, I don't prefer to have my thoughts provoked, and I, I normally do prefer things to tie up quite nicely. Doug's the one who, who really has a capacity for confusion. But in this instance, I, I like it. I, I feel as though the world has has gone to whatever adjective you want to use. Adjective? Noun? Noun? Uh, lately, and Tenet really nicely captures the moment, uh, and it captures the confusion, it captures the nihilism, it captures the pointlessness, it captures the grandiosity, it captures just the craziness of everything, and I quite like it for that, and um, so it feels inadvertently very much a film of its 2020 time, and, and so I like that. Excellent,
1: and of course we've already mentioned it. Everyone's wearing masks, so yep. very yeah, very personal. You your final thoughts. I'm going to do my final thoughts. I am. Um, yeah, thank you, Sarah. I love Memento. Like we've all said, it was one of my favorite films of a very long time. I think that uh, it did things to cinema that were revolutionary, and of course now we, we've sort of got the, the privilege of having many films that have changed the form in that way. So I wouldn't say it's dated, but it doesn't have the same kind of shine that it once had um but i really love it for its um e- economy i guess um how how well it does with such such small well such a small budget um and guy pierce it's probably his greatest role mm. he's done lots of great work but it really is yeah peak for me with his work um, tenet i um didn't understand the bullet in the wall i've i don't get it I don't understand how it goes back <laughs> into a gun that it didn't come out of. It's inverted. Oh, just, it doesn't make sense. And it Makes you gotta, street sense. you got to think of dropping the bullet before you can catch it. No sense. Absolutely no sense. Um, I did love the, the classic 60s thrilliness of it. Like, I really enjoyed that, mm. that, that uh, particular first hour where it had that really retro feel, the way mm. it was filmed. I loved all of that. I just want to see him make a James Bond film. That's clearly what he wants to make. I want to see it. Um, I hope there's humour in it, like you allude, because that would be my one concern with Nolan doing a Bond movie, that he would lose the (laughs) humour element of it. Um, But I would love to see that. And, you know, when Nolan is reined in, he's one of my favourites. And I'm just concerned that he's going the way of Jackson, that he's going the way of... um, Who else? Tarantino, Tarantino as well. Just losing people that can keep their ideas in check and making these, yeah, all of them, all of them. Um, Francis Ford Coppola, even Fellini. Anyways, anyways, that's my final thoughts. Thank you for listening to another episode of Cinema in Context. If you enjoyed our podcast, then please share it with your film-loving friends. You can listen to Cinema in Context through SoundCloud, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Radio Public, and just, just today we've been accepted into Amazon Music. So you can listen to any fine uh, Alexis device near you. You can also follow us on Facebook, Twitter, YouTube and Instagram, which are great places to let us know what you think of this episode, or give us suggestions for future films to discuss and compare. It has definitely been a year of trying to find movies, I'm not gonna lie, mm-hmm. but we do have our next couple of months planned. Look out for our next episode in a month's time, and until then, ka, ka